It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 N. 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 Hi everybody, welcome to the Criterion Project, and this is a show where we like to talk about what's on the Criterion channel and the other fun stuff that we've been watching, and I am film critic Rachel Wagner, and Conrado is here. Yes, he is. How you doing, Rachel? Doing pretty good. I uh, I feel like I'm just recovering from a trip to Southern California, and now I'm going back mm-hmm. next week to Southern California, so oh, uh, California <laughs> wants me right now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it should be fun. Going to D23. Uh, oh, so it's always an adventure. <laughs> That's fun. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of that, I am thinking that I should be able, if everything goes well, to see this weekend um, Sleeping Beauty in the big screen, oh. 70 millimeter, which I'm really excited because that's definitely one of the best, most gorgeous movies mm-hmm. Disney ever made, for sure. Jealous. That's so cool. Is it part of like a festival or something? Or um. It's part of a of a series of like big screen movies that they've been doing at the Museum of the Moving Image here in New York. So, um, yeah, so that, yeah, the moment I saw that they were playing that, mm-hmm. I was thinking, seeing that in a big screen, you can't mm-hmm. pass that up. That's so cool. Yeah, I would love to see that on the big screen. And it's, I mean, it's just so beautiful. The the uh, animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the design of everything. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mm-hmm. I'm really excited. Well, what else have you been watching lately? Lately, I've been watching a movie that I don't know if you have seen this one, Rachel, but if you haven't, I think that you absolutely must because it is a romance from the year 1991 called Mississippi Masala, directed by our friend uh, Mira Nair, who we've covered on this show before with her movie uh, Monsoon Monsoon Wedding. Wedding. Yeah. And this is a movie she made in the 90s with um, starring uh, Sarita Chowdhury and Denzel Washington. So she plays an Indian-American woman living in Mississippi and Denzel Washington plays a guy who, you know, kind of falls in love with her and she starts to fall in love with him despite kind of the, you know, differences in cultural backgrounds, racial relations and all of that stuff. It's a very, very good movie i loved it number one it's beautiful in this new criterion edition especially the colors pop like i don't know like i've never seen before it looks so gorgeous and obviously you know you have two incredibly beautiful hot handsome lead performers um who you just want to see get together because they're just both so freaking hot and um chemistry off the charts in my opinion rachel i think you will appreciate that but it's also a very interesting movie about the history of Indian immigrants in Africa as well, because there's a the kind of like the B story of the movie is about the family of this woman who, you know, lived in Uganda, but then they were expelled when the dictator Idi Amin came to power. And so there's this history of feeling like you are from one place but you're living in another you know they were living in africa but they were indian and now they're living in america and you know at one point they compare that to the experience of black people in america you know one of the characters says like oh so you're like us we're african but we have never been there you know just like they are indians but they've never been to india so it's a very um interesting interesting story in that way as well i really really recommend it Mm. 
I definitely will watch it. That sounds really good. I feel like I've heard of it, but uh, yeah, I've never seen that one. That sounds really good. Well, for me, I, most of my movie watching time has been taken up lately by, uh, I've been doing, I did a recap series on my channel and on my podcast on the, uh, the three original Lord of the Rings mm. movies. And those are long sits. So it takes yep. a long time. Um, and, uh, but I, I think they hold up really well. I, I do think sometimes the battles get a little long for me, but, mm. uh, but the characters are really good. I think it, it has such a clear stakes throughout the whole, the whole trilogy that keeps you invested and motivated. And I think that uh, obviously it's so well made if mm-hmm. everything from the music down to this visual effects to everything in between is so well done. Uh, I'm not a big fantasy person, but this one wins me over from a, with its lack of exposition and its uh, and its good solid characters that I become invested in. Because a lot of fantasy, it kind of loses me in like the thing that people that love fantasy love is the lore and the world building. But to mm-hmm. me, I don't care about that. I want to get to these characters and and the story, the plot, uh, and mm. I don't want to get kind of lost in in this you know, beautiful world you've created. I want to, you know, I want to get to the story. And, and so this, I think it does a really good job of that in these, uh, in their, you know, little puffed out little, little much sometimes, but they do have good characters and I think it's a good story. And, uh, and I, so it it was a lot of fun to revisit it and to, to talk about with my friends, my friend, Jen, Mm -hmm. who came on the recap had, had never seen them. So that was fun to introduce her. You yeah. had seen them before, though, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I agree with everything you're saying. Um, I love those movies, and especially I loved them when I was a kid when they first mm-hmm. came out. They really were like, you know, a big deal to me um, growing up. One of those moments where I was, I, they really got me even more into movies and to think more about movies in a way. Um, and first, when you said that their lack of exposition, I was like, what is she talking about? There's so much exposition. But then I understand what you're trying to say that. I think I agree completely. The movies do a great, great job of anchoring all of that in the character and in the character emotions in a way Mm -hmm. that, yeah, you feel invested and it goes uh, much further because of that. It's not just mumbo jumbo that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. anything, you know, Um, and that's really good. One of the things I think that's so smart that they do at the very beginning of the first movie is they just they have an exposition dump that mm-hmm. just explains the world. Here's the how many rings that were made. Here's the backstory of the ring. Here's Isidar. All of it. They just get that out of the way <clears throat> so that then they can just sort of move on with the story. And I think mm. that's so effective. In mm. uh, we we just we don't. It doesn't really matter all of the uh, different intricacies of middle earth i don't care about that i care about the i i know some people do care about that but me personally yeah. i care about the characters and the story yeah and uh, so I, but that you yeah. know but that all that stuff it is there for the people yeah. who want it but you know if you don't want it you have character and story and that mm-hmm. will bring you along yeah. um you know this is a funny coincidence because i just speaking of big screen experiences i uh, I just spent four and a half hours last night with my friends watching the return of the King on the big screen extended oh, no edition. <laughs> so it's just, it's very fresh off my mind. Um, and it yeah. was a very last minute thing, but I enjoyed it <laughs> a lot. Um, and one of the, a couple of the things we were talking about after were number one, which you, what you're saying reminded me of these things. The first one is that 
these movies are so um, sincere in a way that I think really works for them and is really yeah. beautiful. You know, the, the relationship between Frodo and Sam is so tender and it's yes. so earnest in a way that a lot of movies, blockbusters especially nowadays, they kind of don't want to get into that. You know, they want to mm -hmm. deflate, they want to make it about conflict or just jokey and, and they don't really commit to the emotion, you know? That's true. Um, yeah, we were talking about that, that really friendship is a major theme of the whole trilogy. Oh, yeah. It, you know, you've got the friendship, obviously, Frodo and Sam. You have the friendship between Frodo and Gandalf. You've got Merry and Pippin that are great friends. You have yeah, everybody loves each other. All of those men lo really <laughs> yeah. love it. It, it really is Gimli about yeah, Legolas and, yeah, Legolas and Aragorn. Everybody loves each other. It's really... <laughs> It really is that simple. Um, and, yeah. and that's what makes it so touching. Um, and the other thing that I was going to say is that the movies also do a really great job of reminding you that despite the high fantasy element, these are all people or like humans with that stuff happens to them. You know, I think that's why it's so important to see mm -hmm. them have like, you know, dirty feet or like th their hands are also dirty. And there's a moment when, you know, there's moments when they're smoking their kind of like their pipes and, there's mm -hmm. a moment in this third movie that I watched last night where Gandalf starts coughing when he's smoking, you know, and it just kind of like yeah. this little reminder that those things that it's life, you know, that sometimes mm -hmm. you just cough because you the smoke gets in your throat and, you know, people drink and people sleep and and they get tired. So, yeah, all of that yeah. goes a long way as well. That's true. Yeah. Yes, so people should watch Lord of the Rings and check out the recaps. I actually am really proud of them. I think that they were really, really fun and interesting. And uh, Oscar, my friend, is is so knowledgeable on mm -hmm. both the books and the movies. And so mm -hmm. uh, it was a fun dynamic to have him, who's an expert with Jen, who'd never seen them, and then me kind of in between. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. That was fun. Anyway, well, today we are... We're going to France. Yeah, baby. <laughs> we are talking about one of the classic films of the French New Wave. It's The 400 Blows by Francois Truffaut. And uh, yes, this movie, uh, I had heard a lot about it. And then I watched it as the one of the very first movies for my Blind Spot series. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very well done film. Uh, and uh, it was fun to revisit it. I hadn't seen it since then, so as it's 2016. Uh, so, mm -hmm. had you seen this before? I had, but also not for a very long time. I saw it for the first and only time when I was taking my film 101 class many, many years ago. Um, so, and I enjoyed it at the time. Hadn't seen it since. Uh, and I'm really glad you picked it because I kind of rediscovered it um, with this watch, um, and I really appreciate it on a level that even more so than I did back then. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a great, great movie, obviously. I mean, it's a classic for a reason, I guess. <laughs> yeah, why don't you describe a little bit about what the movie's about? Sure, so it's basically the story of a young boy called Antoine Duanel, and he, you know, it's supposed to be very based on Francois Truffaut's own experience as a young man, um, the director and writer of the movie. Um, and he, you know, he lives in Paris with his mom and dad, but they don't have a lot of money. They live in this very small apartment. And also he's kind of neglected. You know, it's it's really is about, I guess, a tough childhood alienation from the adults around you and the world around you, really. Um, 
at school, his teacher has basically decided that he is a troublemaker and he doesn't really want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, it's really that kind of education that it's all about yelling and and hierarchies and punishment, you know, instead of any kind of nurturing learning process. And then at home, his mom is and his dad, you can tell that they are in a very strange situation, but even then they are very kind of like... Uh, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to judge the characters necessarily, but they definitely are struggling to deal with with their with their child and what to do with him. And they don't really make the most nurturing, uh, you know, decisions in terms of like what to do with him. You know, there's a lot of punishment. Yeah. There's a lot of like conflicting stuff you know he at one point sees his mom kissing another man and then the mom starts acting very nice towards him but it is which is nice but then you can also tell she's doing it because he saw her so there's a lot of complex relationships going on there but basically kind of a character study i guess about this kid and and his and his life yeah have you ever read uh, catcher in the rye um, yes, but also many years ago, and I don't remember it so well either. I, I think there's a lot in common. They were you know, written, I think f- they were created fairly fairly close together. So I don't know if they would mm-hmm. this would have been an influence on Truffaut. Uh, but uh, but I do f- sense a lot of Holden Caulfield in uh, oh sure yeah hero, hero of um I guess we can call him that the, mm-hmm. the protagonist of. Uh, catcher in the rye i sense a lot of that in antoine except for i think antoine is more sympathetic he's more easy to root for than holden Mm. Uh, but i i just i feel so bad for him in this movie because all the adults are just the worst (laughs) i just i'm more (laughs) judgmental than you are i think his (laughs) mom is just so cold-hearted and mean and uh, and he we flat out tells and that he she doesn't like him and yeah that he, that he annoys her and i don't know it's it's hard to root for this mom i mean she is very selfish and uh and the dad isn't actually his biological dad but uh he i, I he doesn't really realize that but they don't really have any uh any meaningful relationship his no it's a very yeah it's a very sort of distant ish i mean there are some moments towards the beginning of the movie that he's friendly towards him but then you know it's not a relationship that goes very deep like you're saying yeah that's for sure yes and uh, the teacher is just so harsh and you know accuses him of plagiarizing and uh, he punishes in front of everybody and you know at a certain point you, you you just think would he be better off by himself would he not only like physically and mentally but like he would do a better job teaching and i don't know just sometimes you wonder if we end up making things harder for kids rather than helping them and yeah. certainly in this case well in a way he is already on his own is mm-hmm. how it feels, you know? And I think, you know, I read your, um, what you wrote back in 2016, like you were saying mm-hmm. for your spotlight series and you, and that highlighted how, and 
Antoine is so alone in a lot of the movie. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. the times when we frame him, he is by himself, even when he is with other people. And he, there's just something that feels so solitary about him. He does not feel like he's being taken care of, you know, as a kid. Yeah, exactly. It's just like there's a distance between him and all the adults. The adults are not interested in... It, it's just a very cruel situation that he's in and it, and it paints a very cruel world. At the same time, though, it does this without being, you know, miserable or miserablest in its yeah. view, you know, which is very strong as well for the movie it's not like trying to wallow in the in the pain and in the sadness but it's just more you know it feel probably i think because he is based uh i mean because truffaut is basing the movie in his own experience and he has probably a you know complicated and complex view of his own life he doesn't feel the need to underline the stuff that is sad about it he knows that mm. it would be sad because he's lived it, you know? So yeah, yeah, in Roger Ebert's review, he says, Truffaut's film is not a dirge or entirely a tragedy. There are moments moments of fun and joy. One and he talks about one priceless scene shot looking down from above the street shows a physical education teacher leading the boys on a jog through Paris. Two by two, they peel off until the teacher is at the head of the line of only two or three boys. The happiest moment in the film comes after one of Antoine's foolish mistakes. He lights a candle to, to Balzac, which sets the little cardboard shrine on fire. His parents put out the flames, but then for once their exasperation turns to forgiveness and the whole family goes to the movies and laughs on the way home. So there is, yeah, that there is lightness. It's not a uh, depressing movie, really. Mm hmm. Yeah. Despite it having some solemn things. Uh, and yeah, he does love his Balzac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it makes me think of in the music man. <laughs> There's like, that's one of the, 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 uh, the women claim that Marion's recommending trashy novels. <laughs> mm. Balzac. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah. The other movie that it, this reminded me of, it reminded me of a lot of movies, and and I could see a lot of movies that have been influenced by it, but it also made me think of like, uh, seemed like a different take on sort of like a Pinocchio sort of story mm. where the, you know, it's a kid who has these misadventures, it's episodic and, you know, there's an alienation from the world, you know, Pinocchio is a puppet in the real world. This kid is definitely disconnected from the world around him and, but the morality of the situation is very much flipped, you know, whereas the, the at least the Disney Pinocchio is very much about, um, you know, learning and and your conscience and, and growing as a person. This movie is kind of saying that is not possible, you know, that is not there in this reality. There, It's just kind of like you were saying, being on your own and, and running into danger and mischief is the only thing that you can do or is the saner mm -hmm. thing to do in this situation. Um, so it's a very rebellious movie in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They also have a big emphasis on the importance of movie going and going to the, the theater and how uh, mm -hmm. Truffaut said that he found a substitute home in the movie theater. Yeah. And even that is handled pretty subtly, you know, like mm -hmm. they just, we see that they go to the movies, but we never see them in the theater. And then they, you know, the mom later on complains, oh, yeah, he wants to be at the movies all the time. He doesn't really care about anything else. He's over there ruining his eyes, is I think what she says. Um, 
But, you know, think about it in comparison to a movie that I know you like much better than I do, but like Belfast, where they have so mm-hmm. many scenes of them in the movie theater and like the ma- their face, you know, being enchanted by the movies, whereas this mm-hmm. is much more matter of fact a little bit about it, you know? It is the escape, but that doesn't necessarily change how the world around him feels. And there is something about the black and white photography as well mm-hmm. that I thought makes everything look so... Yeah, sort of kind of depressing. The movie takes place over the winter. Everything looks cold and wet and gray. You know, it's it really is a full experience in terms of the, the movie making of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cinema Paradiso is another one that I thought of uh, yeah. that uh, that you can see definitely this movie's influence on that, that mm-hmm. film. Uh, I don't know. What about you? Do you? Did you have sort of that movie that you saw in the cinema that really, like really impacted you kind of got you on on the movie um train yeah i mean there were a lot of movies um but you know maybe the lord of the rings like i was saying before it was Mm -hmm. around that time definitely a lot of the movies the big movies of that time and there was you know this was the the turn of the 90s into the the 2000s there was it was a time of digital effects where that was a novelty and i remember being very much blown away what what people were doing with blockbusters back then you know going mm-hmm. to the movies and expecting to see something that i hadn't seen before in terms of like you know the the battles in lord of the rings or spider-man flying or swinging through the mm-hmm. buildings and things like that um that i think you know as cgi became more and more ubiquitous it kind of like got lost but there was like a magic there for me at the time um mm-hmm. of of yeah of seeing things that you could and also i guess it's similar to escapism you know something different from the world something fantastical and otherworldly mm-hmm. yeah for me uh, it would have been there's there was this theater in uh, salt lake called the villa theater it's really sad they sell rugs in there now but uh. <laughs> when i was little <laughs> it was a very special place to go see a movie they had two they had a balcony uh, mm. two stories and uh, so it was just a kind of fancy and it was beautiful and i remember going to see a bunch of the reissues there and the disney reissues they used to do including fantasia which i was very uh i was when i was little i lived for doing things that i thought were grown up i i didn't like being a kid i didn't like being told mm-hmm. what to do i was pretty <laughs> stubborn and uh, so anytime that i got to kind of make choices and do something i saw as kind of grown up and to me going to see Fantasia was grown up. And uh, so <laughs> that was very exciting. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I've been a, you know, an animation fan my whole life. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, Little Mermaid was the first movie that I really fell in love with and uh, mm-hmm. that I was kind of borderline obsessed with. <laughs> you can ask my brother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, another one that really stands out is very influential was Home Alone. That was the first movie that I, I really remember laughing uh, uh, a lot at and their first comedy that really uh, spoke to me. And again, it kind of spoke to that independent streak that I had. And, you know, this was a great idea to be alone. <laughs> Home alone. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh, and then Jurassic Park, that would be the other one. Uh, the I just I'll never forget seeing those dinosaurs the first time in Ellie and Sattler, you know, just mm. in that Jeep. Just what? you know blown away and and it's it's it still gets me every time i watch that movie the awe and spectacle of it is just unbelievable yeah um uh so yeah he says that he goes to the cinema for refuge and then 
uh, he um, tries to steal his typewriter from his stepfather. And then that's when he's sent to the police. And it's interesting because I feel like you almost get a sense of relief for him when he's, when he's uh, sent away to the, uh, to the school, to the treatment at the juvenile offenders place. I, that he's at least away from his mother. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you really wanted him to get out of that house, yes. I guess. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's a few bit. things worse than a mother not loving their child. That is just hard. Mm, yeah, that's true. Um, although, I mean, I don't know. In, in a way, I, I just feel like everywhere he is, there's just like, the difference between the adult world and the child world is really strike uh, or striking in this movie, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Um, you know, he, and no matter where he is, the adults just do not understand him. But I agree yeah. with you that once he gets to this, you know, reformation center, borderline juvenile prison that he goes to towards the end of the movie, the, the, the friendship of the other kids there. Um, and there is a solidarity there between the kids. You know, there are some kids that get put into a specific cell because they tried to escape. And the other kids come around and give them food and gives the guy food and they talk about it. And everyone is kind of like on the same boat and they understand each other. You know, they know what the others have been going through and how they're feeling. And I think that part of it gave me a little bit of hope for him. And and that mm-hmm. made me feel like, oh, maybe he, you know, despite all of it, he it does maybe make you do him some good to be around these other kids, um, even though they're also trouble kids like he is. Have you seen any of the sequels? I never have. I haven't either, but we should talk about that, that this is kind of like, I mean, I remember at the time that boyhood was coming out and how people were talking about that being groundbreaking stuff. A lot of people were also saying, well, you know, the closest thing that it's not totally unprecedented, you know, because Truffaut made the movies with Antoine Donnell and he, mm-hmm. the same actor, Jean-Pierre Leo, who's a kid here, as he grew up, they would like every couple of years reconnect and make another movie. And there's about four or five movies, I think, that yeah. follow this character as he goes older. Yeah, there's three more. There's Stolen Kisses, Bed and mm-hmm. Board, and Love on the Run. Yeah, and I think there's also another short or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I have never seen them. They, they sound yeah. interesting and it would be cool to see what, what he was doing as the, I mean, they're all, I assume, pretty autobiographical about him, you know? Yeah. According to Ebert, he says the later films have their own merits and Stolen Kisses is one of Truffaut's best, but the 400 Blows with all its simplicity and feeling is in a class by itself. Yeah, well, maybe that brings us in a good point to talk about um, what makes this a Criterion movie. Yes. You know, talking about it being in a class on itself. Um, so what do you think? Uh, I think that, well, first of all, it started kind of a whole new wave of cinema. So that's part of it. Also, uh, it's universally acclaimed as one of the greatest movies. Uh, the Sight and Sound greatest movie poll had it at 39. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was reading that it was... 13 amongst uh, directors poll of, of great movies. Uh, so universally praised French new wave Truffaut, important influential director. It's also all about the importance of movies and the value of movies. So that would also be very criteriony. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, some of those reasons I think. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right on the money. I mean, historically, this movie is just, you know, so important. It's just uh, that whole French New Wave moment was a very big deal for movies and for the, you know, for the movies that get made, but also for how people watch movies, you know. This was mm-hmm. a time when it was kind of like the first wave of people making movies who loved movies before as kids, yeah. you know, who had grown up watching movies and who had and they were also film critics before they became directors a lot of them including Truffaut and our old friend Jean-Luc Godard as well um <laughs> yeah that's a good point because this is 1959 so you're right this was sort of the first generation of directors that would have kind of grown up yeah wanting to make movies you know yeah. before like you know people like Hitchcock or John Ford when they were kids like they they didn't know that this was a career you know movies were just starting so mm-hmm. um the yeah. relationship is different and when what happens is that they become although maybe the 400 blows is not as much of this as some of like maybe the Godard movies that we've mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. um they become very self-referential you know and mm-hmm. talk about the plagiarism that's why I love that as well because he's reading Balzac he loves it and then he doesn't really plagiarize it he like quotes it you know it's like kind of like an homage just like all these directors they grew up watching all these movies that they loved so of course that's going to come through in their movies and that doesn't mean that it's just a plagiarism or a copy but it's just it's kind of part of who they are the things Mm -hmm. that they loved become themselves and and movies really changed in that way at this time yeah, that's a good point. I thought of it quite like that, but you're right. Um, we should talk just for a second about the mm-hmm. the final shot. It's pretty iconic, this oh, freeze yeah. frame uh, in, into him. And what do you think about that? You know, I remembered it so differently. When, I, when it came this time around, I was shocked by what it actually was. I remembered it being much longer the time before it becomes a freeze frame. You know, I remembered him running into the ocean and then looking at the camera for a while and then the movie ending. But it really is, he just turns towards the camera and as soon as he catches the lens, it freeze frames and and the movie ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt kind of like a shock. It reminded me of the of the ending of, which I, I, I bet it was inspired a little bit, at least by this, of the Florida Project, if you remember mm-hmm. that movie from a couple of years ago. It. It's on my oh, you haven't seen it. Up. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's great. I look forward to to hearing what you yeah. what you think about it. But that movie ends with a similar kind of like um, change of format. All, all of a sudden, the movie goes in an expected direction, and then it ends. And it's very um, and it's very fast, and it comes out of nowhere, and it's kind of shocking. And I think mm-hmm. that's how this ending felt as well. Of like, you know, the running, he gets to the ocean, but where else is he going to go? I don't know. It, it it just leaves you in a very interesting place that it's not a resolution in of sorts. Yeah. I think it reinforces his loneliness. It, yeah. it just gets you to focus just on his eyes and just on this child and his, that he's, you know, abandoned basically that there's nothing, the, the, the criminal system he's run away from the mm-hmm. family has abandoned him. He's just, it's just like a focus in on this person is all alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that that it definitely, this movie definitely belongs in the criterion uh, collection and criterion project. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think about pretentiousness? I feel like another one, we say this every time, I feel like unless it's an obvious pretentious, but w- this one's a little bit tricky, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, in some ways, this has Criterion written all over it, you know, like you were saying. It is a quintessential Criterion collection movie, but it is maybe not what you would expect necessarily. I think the movie is very, very watchable, very, very easy to watch, to enjoy, to connect with in a way that, you know, for example, our old friend Jean-Luc Godard's movies, even his mm-hmm. early fun movies mm-hmm. are not. You know, they're more... This movie is also confrontational, but in a mm-hmm. different way. You know, it's very accessible. It's very... Yeah. I guess it's very relatable because we've all been kids. Um, and it rings yeah, very mean, true. There's some people that just having a black and white French film is pretentious. Like that alone. There's some sure, people who... Sure. You know, but putting that aside... <laughs> Uh, it actually is pretty relatable. I mean, I feel like most people at least had moments in their childhood where you didn't connect, you couldn't explain, adults didn't understand. Yeah. And, uh, and like in Holden, Holden Caulfield and Patrick in the Rye, where he says, everybody's a phony. Mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. that Antoine basically echoes those sentiments. Yeah, well, for sure. for sure. And, I, and don't most of us growing up at least in moments, feel like, feel that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would say to what you're saying, for for people who who would think that black and white or foreign language is already a difficulty and a pretentiousness, this is a great movie yeah. to start, you know, to like, to see that, I yeah, I agree with you. I just feel like a lot of people, even people who wouldn't watch a movie like this usually, could get into it and it could be a gateway into other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good one to watch at the very beginning of my blind spot because, because it was number nine. And uh, so mm. it was one of the first ones I did. Uh, Cause I think it, it kind of gave me confidence going forward. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, in that, but yeah, so there's a mix. I had it at a six. Is what I decided. Oh, the pretentiousness scale. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A six, you know, I might agree with that. I think, I mean, there's definitely some pretentiousness in this, right? It is a confrontational movie in some ways. It is this guy who has lived through some of this saying, pointing a finger at the system in many ways, but also mm-hmm. doing it so personally. And not it's not a message movie necessarily, even though it's saying a lot about the situation in French society at the time. But it's also most of all about what his experience was like and about trying to convey that with the, not only with the story, but also like we were talking about with the filmmaking, you know, it really taken into account how the movie looks, how the movie Mm -hmm. feels that last scene at the beach. I think it's all about contrasting the, the, the freedom of running towards the ocean with the, you know, gray sand and gray ocean and the, and the end of escaping, but there being no escape, you know, and, and, and you can see it, but you can also feel it in the way the movie's been made. Um, that I think it's a little pretentious, but again, very accessible. So to cut, you know, long story short, I agree <laughs> with you. I go with a six. <laughs> yes. Well, it's tricky doing a remake because, again, this has been so influential, this film. And you talk about films like Cinema Paradiso, Belfast, and we have upcoming The Fablemans. And if you've heard about that, um, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. Yep. Uh, and that looks very influenced by this movie as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think you could even have movies like Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, yep. that have, Definitely. That have some influence from uh, this movie as well. 
yeah, a lot of movies have been influenced by this. I feel like almost every movie about a, a problematic kid has been influenced by this in one way or another. It's just one of those things that it was just such a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I didn't think about the remake at all. Now I'm having a hard well, we time. We had some comments on our Twitter about oh. this film. I thought we could read. Yeah. Wondering. Think of that. So a nostalgia cast, our friend Darren, he says, it's lovely, a hallmark of the French new wave, funny and bracing and introspective in a way that doesn't feel scripted like a series of live action journal entries. Audiences at the time were understandably taken aback by its freshness, which is why it feels so timeless today. I like that comment about it feeling like live action journal entries. That's good. Uh, And our Keith Garlington, he says, brilliant movie from its start to that crucial final shot. Huge fan. Uh, And uh, and then our friend uh, Jen Johan says, one of the best movies ever made. Uh, And um, Walter M says, awesome coming of age movie, stunning. Um, Norm Schreger says, rough, raw, but oddly playful too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, those are all great uh, yeah. observations. <laughs> um, what I was trying to think of something different as opposed to kind of the cinema paradiso type of not that's a remake, but homage. I was right. trying to think of something different. Um, and I think it would be interesting to make a movie about Truffaut and how he came to make the 400 blows. Because uh, mm. we already have so many of those coming of age movies, but given that it's a semi-autobiographical I think you could really make an interesting film about the process, especially the fact that they, him and um, uh, the actor ended up working together on all these projects, uh, Jean-Pierre Lied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that could be an interesting movie. Yeah, that could be a very interesting movie. And I think also, um, you know, this was probably make something that I will end up maybe not liking that much, but just thinking of those miniseries that, you know, kind of like a feud like Betty and Joan or the other one they Mm. did with Fosse Verdon or something, something that's like Truffaut Godard or something, you know, like because they were friends and then they were enemies and then they like had a very, you know, kind of back and forth relationship with each other, which I think maybe could be interesting in that kind of way. Um, It would probably end up being kind of trashy and not that good, but I would give it a try. (laughs) Sometimes I like trashy. Yeah. (laughs) Not that good. Uh, Like Emily in Paris. It's terrible. I still like it. Uh, Yes. Uh, Yeah, that's the other thing. I think they should do that and it should be done by Americans so that the French (laughs) get really upset about everything (laughs) that that is portrayed in it. Yes. I think so. Uh, uh, well, yeah, let us know if you're listening what your remake would be of the Fighter Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to see that. So there we go. We did it. Uh, yeah. We talked about it. Uh, so we don't have our next uh, movie yet that we are going to be talking about because the schedule's a little bit uh, yeah. a little bit nebulous right now with both of us going out of town. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. It's challenging times over here at Criterion Project (laughs) Central, um, scheduling-wise. You know, you already know that we said we were going to cover Devil Indemnity. Then we had to change it because the movie was going off the channel. So It was only there for one month. Yeah, we're doing our best, people. So, you know, cut us a little bit of slack. We will be back in our regular schedule with another episode. We probably, instead of covering 
a specific movie, we might do one of something special, like maybe one of our top five or top mm -hmm. 10 episodes or something like yeah. that. So that we, you know, so that you have an episode to listen to in about two weeks, but we haven't quite decided what we're going to do just yet. So it will be fun though. Definitely. It will be fun. <laughs> oh, and I have one more thing to say, you know, because this show is kind of about the Criterion channel and we haven't talked about the channel as a whole in a while, but I have one very big bone to pick with the channel, which is when you're watching a movie on your computer on the Criterion channel and you press the space bar in your keyboard, the movie doesn't stop. It's, I am expecting whenever I watch a movie on my computer that if I press the space bar, it means play and pause. Right. And it's not. And, and so when I'm watching a movie and then maybe someone walks in and interrupts me and I press the space bar, <laughs> nothing happens. And then I have to, I can't even click You know, you know, sometimes you just, if you click anywhere, it'll stop, but you have to click specifically in the pause button in order for it to pause, which is, it's just too much. Criterion, what are you doing? This is a very easy fix. Please make it so that I can pause the movie um, easily when I'm watching it. Criterion channels gotta be different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's so that people don't pause the movie. You know, this is supposed to be like a cinema experience. No pauses, no going to the bathroom. <laughs> Well, y'all can find us at Criterion Pod on Twitter. Make sure you check that out. And Conrad, where can people find you? You can find me also on Twitter at Coco Hits and Y. And you can also find me on Letterboxd if you use that app. Um, my username is my name, Conrado Falco III. So you can find me there. And uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. Also, make sure that you are checking out the Hallmarks podcast. We've got a lot of good stuff going on over there. Really proud of it. And uh, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That really helps us a lot. And, uh, and it helps people find the podcast. So we sure appreciate it. So thanks so much, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.